Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you. Today we're talking about the subject of anxiety and worry and fear, and we're going to go through Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Um, I was told when I became a father that I would have um, moments of realization and clarity about God as our father and myself as his son, and then in caring for and taking care of and, uh, and loving my son, I would have some realization. I think that's normal for a lot of people where they'll see what it's like to be a father and then think, oh, I wonder if God is like this as well. I'll confess to you, none of that happened to me uh, in the four and a half months that I've had a child, except for about two days ago, I was trying to put my son to sleep. He was not having it, squirming, crying, teething, um, didn't want to go to sleep about midday. And I started to sing to him a lullaby that I also play on the speakers around our house that uh, is tip, typically the magic bullet to really help um, our son go to sleep. But it wasn't working either. But I was singing along with the speaker and the song was, um, well, I won't sing it for you, but the lyrics are, I will never leave you or forsake you. Know that I'm with you and you will never be alone. It's such a beautiful uh, lullaby that uh, you can play on Spotify and sing along. And my son uh, eventually went to sleep. But in that moment, I realized like that is really what I believe. I mean, I, I look at my son. I, I love him. I'm an imperfect father already. It's only been a few months. And um, at the same time, I took joy in telling my little kid, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Know that I'm always with you and you will never be alone. And at the same time as I realize that I mean that and I am singing that to my son because I mean that to him from his, uh, as a loving father, that I also have this overwhelming realization that I cannot live up to that promise. I can't control him. I can't even get him to go to sleep. I can't control my own life. I can't control the circumstances in the world. In the end, I am powerless to actually do something about this promise that I really desperately want to make to my son, that I'll always be with you. You'll never be alone. I realize that I'm powerless over the circumstances of the world to fulfill that promise like God can. You know, the lyrics from this lullaby that I sing my song to, or sing to my son to put him to sleep is actually from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where God says, Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never leave you or forsake you. And because of that, God in Deuteronomy makes a command. Do not be afraid or terrified. And Matthew chapter 6 shows us uh, Jesus' teaching, his reasoning with his followers where he makes the same command. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. And there's a lot of anxiety and worry going around these days. I mean, big deal anxiety. Even just the phone conversations I've had this week about folks who have lost their job, who have uh, experienced personal pain, uh, who are concerned and worried about their family and illnesses that can spread. Um, there's a lot going on right now to be worried or concerned about. And yet, Jesus commands his followers and today commands us to not be anxious, to not be worried. And it's not just that he makes that command, he then follows it up in the Christian life and even in our passage today where he gives us not only a command to not be anxious, but he offers us a life of fearlessness and peace through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, with this issue of anxiety, there are three ways to deal with the topic. And I tell you this just as a perspective on where we're headed. 
there's a non-religious, kind of irreligious way to deal with fear and anxiety. And there's a religious way to deal with fear and anxiety. Different than both of those things, there's a Christian way to deal with fear and anxiety. The irreligious way to deal with anxiety would be to say, think positively. Within your own strength, imagine the conclusion that you would like to see in your life and then go get it and get after it with the power of positive thinking. Or maybe you have the money and the privilege to go get a really good therapist or a good coach or something like that. Maybe you can get some resources in your life just to help you make good choices, take deep breaths and have good breathing exercises. Whatever it is, an irreligious approach to dealing with fear and anxiety has to do with you learning how to develop those skills, even if they are constructive skills. It's an irreligious way to say, I can deal with this fear. There's a religious way to deal with fear, which is to say, uh, if you act good, then God will answer your prayers and the worst will not happen to you. Uh, or if you do have negative cir circumstances come into your life, then it's because God is punishing you. That's a religious way to deal with fear. Over and against those two things is a Christian perspective. And here's where we're headed this morning. Jesus gives us this gospel um, coaching confrontational loving lesson where he makes a very important point about fear and anxiety. And so Jesus is making this point in essence. If we understand and trust God's character in the midst of worry, then we'll be able to listen to God's truth about worry. If we believe in his character, if we trust in who he is, if we have faith in God in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our fears, then we will be able to listen to the truth that Jesus is teaching here, but only first if we trust in who God is. So the big idea is that we can overcome worry if we trust in God's character so that we can trust in God's insights on worry. If you look in our passage, Matthew chapter 6, um, in verse 25, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Verse 27, who, uh, which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to a span of your life, one translation says. Verse 31 says, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Over and over and over again in the passage, do not worry. So he surrounds these commands by going in and out of different arguments and different points and different metaphors to try and paint the picture and make the point and drive it home into the hearts of anyone who's hearing them. And even in today, while we read these words, do not be anxious. You have great reason to have peace and joy and comfort and security in our God. You know, the main question for um, the Christian life is, or for anyone, honestly, is um, who can claim justifiably and reasonably to lack worry and fear in the midst of hardship? Like, who can actually say, I have good reason to be peaceable and not just be in denial? Who can actually say, I have peace and I have good reason to have peace? Well, the Bible's argument is those who are in Christ have good reason to have so much hope, joy, and security in who God is. They, have, they are so taken care of, so um, content in who God is, how he's revealed himself, his character, his nature, and what he's done for us in Christ that we have no reason to worry. Actually, we have reason to obey God's command, do not be anxious, because he's given us the resources for a life of fearlessness and joy. So, Jesus gives us the command. Let's talk about God's character in the midst of worry. Take a look in verse 26. 
God feeds, cares, and values you. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? This is the first of the major arguments that Jesus makes here. He's saying, you are valuable to God. You are loved. You're valuable. Let that mean something in your life. He's saying, we spend so much time reaping and storing up in barns. We spend so much time worrying and being anxious about the the security that we can plan, the 401k, the savings, is the car going to last long enough? Are the kids going to be able to afford this and that when they grow up? There's so much storing and reaping that we do, especially as Westerners. And Jesus is making the point to us today even, look at the birds. The first of his major points is saying, you have to understand, you are cherished and loved by God as a part of his creation, as a human being made in his likeness. God feeds and cares and values you. And if you look in verse 28, we see here that God clothes us. It's the second of Jesus' main argument here. He says in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, Solomon, son of King David, had lots of clothes, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? A similar point. He's saying, look at the flowers. Look at the hill full of beautiful flowers. See God's design in that. See God's providence and his provision in that. And think about Solomon, the son of the king, the son of the greatest king. He had riches and wealth and, uh, you know, all the resources that you could need. And yet, God clothes, isn't he going to clothe you? Look what he does with the flowers and the grass. In the end, um, grass, flowers, they stand in the Bible repeatedly as metaphors for things that are temporarily beautiful. They're here and they're gone. Uh, The Psalms also use the metaphor for dust, that it's there and then something from out of its control can just move it all around and change its circumstances. The other uh, biblical metaphor is mist, that it's here and then the sun heats up a little bit and then it's gone. Flowers, grass, dust, mist, all stand to tell us that we are temporary, that we exist in God's providence. And by that, I'm accessing a very particular doctrine of the Christian life that you can look up, you can study. If we believe in God's providence, then we will understand that God has his power and his will in and out of every circumstance. And I don't have the time to go into every detail of this, but in the end, if we trust in the doctrine, the belief, the biblical uh, truth of God's providence, his power over circumstances and his will in the world, then we will thank him for what he does. I think one of the most difficult things about worry and fear is that it suddenly makes us realize we're not in control of our lives. We suddenly realize that we don't have control. We don't have the power to fix things when they uh, go crazy. And, uh, well, Christian philosopher Pascal says, um, for who is unhappy at not being a king except a, a deposed king? 
Pascal points out that one of the reasons why we're upset that we aren't in control of the universe is because we are, in essence, deposed kings. You know, think back to Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, we had a role in ruling and reigning over creation with God. And because of sin, we're separated from that role. We were stewards of the earth. We were so uh, united with the king that we were kingly in that sense. And so in our sin, even today, we have a part of our spirit that sees ourselves as deposed kings, that we're only angry that we're not in control because we sense a need to be so connected with God who is in control that we know his business, that we're involved in it, that we have a, a unity with God. And we sense that problem all the time in our life. We, in, in so many ways, say, why can't I control this? Why can't I overcome anxiety? Why can't I worry? And it's because you want to be in control. You want to be God. And there's an angst inside of your heart. Every time you think of the, the negative things that could happen and you start to worry about them, you, you, um, you get that, to that place because you want to be in control because you're a deposed king. If you look in verse 32, you'll see that not only does God clothe, not only does he feed, but he knows. It says your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's looking at these clothes, uh, housing, food, normal necessities that can be taken away from you in a sinful world. I mean, Jesus is being honest about that reality. And he says, your heavenly father knows your needs. He knows what you need. And in fact, it says he knows that you need them. And if that's the case, then it stands to reason that if you're ever ashamed before God at the things that you want in your heart, go to him in prayer. Be honest with God about what's on your heart. If you're saying, God, I'm lonely. Help me not to feel lonely. Or God, help me to have some people around me in my life that care about me genuinely so I'm not so lonely. Whatever it is, when you have a, a fear that comes up in your mind, an anxiety that comes out, just go to God. If our knee-jerk reaction is to just be ashamed of our feelings because any negative thoughts, any worry, any anxiety should just be banished because that's just, you, you broke the no worrying rule, you're not dealing with God like God is meant to be dealt with. You're not treating him like a loving relational God. You're treating him like a, a list of rules where you're not supposed to be anxious and so you're just supposed to banish fear. If an anxiety comes up in your head, go to him. He knows what you need and he loves you. And don't you understand that he's providential and powerful over your circumstances and that even in tough times, you can thank him for what he's doing because he's a good God with a good will. God is good. Like, can you, can you type a name in? You know, God is good, right? And the most confrontational part of this passage is when Jesus says, you of little faith, do not worry. In verse 30 and 31, he's confronting his followers to say, you're not having faith. And the reason why this sounds confrontational is because there is a part, a major part of anxiety that is rooted in unbelief. And if you flip it backwards, you can say the solution to worry and anxiety is belief in a God who's good and loving, great and powerful, gracious and forgiving, glorious and worthy of worship and worthy of devotion and worthy of your entire life. At the root of your worry, think about it. Think about the thing that you've been worried about this week. Now think about how that would change and how your emotions would change on that issue. If you, for the sake of argument, perfectly understood and lived with the reality of who God is, 
that he loves you, that he's powerful, that he has a will. He's good, he's great, he's gracious, he's glorious, he's a great God. Now, if it stands to reason that your worry would go away because of a perfect belief in this God, then it also stands to reason that to the extent that you can get Jesus into your life more, then you'll have perspective and power over and against your worry and anxiety. So let's put ourselves in a place where we trust in Jesus. Let's put ourselves into a place where we have more of him in our lives, and then we'll start to see peace and fearlessness and courage and contentment come out of our lives. But the root of your anxiety, in essence, is unbelief and a lack of trust in the God of the Bible. I'm not the first person to say this. Joni Erickson Tata is a woman who came to faith in Christ late in high school and then through a personal accident, a a diving accident into a a lake, um, she hurt her spine and for the rest of her life has been a quadriplegic. And she's a Christian author and, and speaker and a real hero to many. And the woman... Um, says that I get by on a daily basis as a quadriplegic when I stand on the promises of God. She's making the point that her future hope is in Christ, that one of the first things she'll do in heaven is dance. But she says, for the time being, as a person bound to a wheelchair and uh, dependent on the help of others just to stay alive and to stay healthy, she says, I get by daily when I stand on the promises of God. And we need to constantly remind our spirit and instruct our hearts to have faith in God's promises. Joni Erickson Tata is making the point that sometimes you have to use your mind to tell your heart the gospel truth. You need to take your mind and and renew it with the truth of Scripture and who God is and His character and what He's done for you in Christ. And then you have to tell your heart, hey, emotions, Hey, worry. Hey, concern. You're getting out of control. You need to remember, God is great and powerful. He can handle this. And he's gracious and he's forgiven you. And you haven't messed up so much that the negative things going on right now are some sort of punishment from God. And that he's worthy of worship and that he, that he deserves your affection and your heart. Whatever it is, you oftentimes have to take the truth of Scripture, get it into your head to renew your mind, and then tell your emotions, hey heart, believe the gospel. So a minute ago we said that we can overcome worry by trusting in God's character in the midst of worry so that we can trust his insights. So now let's see what Jesus says about worry and anxiety. And there's a bunch of great stuff here. We'll move through it rather quickly. If you look in verse 25, it says, therefore I tell, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or your body or what you will wear. And then he says, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? This is a really important truth about worry. If we, too, if we are to trust in God's character, we can now look at our circumstances and say, life is more than comfort, security, job success, possessions, the success of my kids, whatever it is, is not life more than fill in the blank that is the source of your worry. Oftentimes, the the source of our worry is because we love good things too much. We make them into a God. We make them into a a savior. Uh, Therefore, the way forward 
to that kind of idol worship, that kind of thing where you're meant to have your affections on God, but you turn it to put your hope and your worship into this other thing. And then that thing, because it's not God, causes worry and fear because your God is dead. It's not living because your God doesn't love you like Jesus loves you. Your God is not forgiving. Uh, Nobody who put their faith in their job success ever saw that job success was forgiving and loving. And so because we're not meant to turn that affection over to those heart idols, they cause destruction in our life. But Jesus' truth stands here when he says, life is more than food. Sometimes when we worry, it's because we need to worry. It's because we, we need to fear. Because sometimes worry reveals that we've put our faith and built our life on rotted, weak pillars. Sometimes the emotion of fear should not just be shut out. Sometimes I bet God wants you to be afraid. If by afraid you're dealing with the fact that you have made something else your God, something else your Savior, and that's a dead God and it's an unloving Savior, then the pillar of your life is, is ready to crumble. It's rotten. It's broken. It can't stand the weight of the expectations that you're putting on it, and it's going to destroy you. And so if there's a, a, a sense when things go bad and the economy tanks and you're out of money, and you realize then that you've put a lot of trust in your security, in your ability to achieve whatever that is, then maybe you should be afraid and to take that emotion and then draw your affections back to Christ, who is a living Savior and who is a loving God. If you look in verse 27, Jesus says, uh, worry doesn't change a dang thing. Can anyone of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, isn't that true? Like, can any of you, by worrying, add an hour to your life? The, The question stands. I mean, who of you, when you are worried about something and you can't sleep and you're just like staring at the ceiling in bed, Uh, and it's 3 a.m., and you just can't sleep because you're just physically wrapped up in anxiety, how many of you came up with an idea at 3 a.m. while you were uh, awake that actually solved any of your problems? Like, how many of you worried every second of your life, and then because of just a maximum amount of worry, uh, you finally went, oh, I get it. Here's the solution. That never happens. If, If anything, your anxiety puts you in a place where you're not ready to make good choices because you're emotionally spent. You don't have any resources to help anyone else. You start to see other circumstances, other other negative things happen in your life because of your emotional state. And then it starts to compound and get worse and worse. And so the question stands, if you keep worrying, how's that going to work out for you? Next, in verse 31, Uh, Jesus says, so don't worry, saying, what will I eat, what will I drink, what will I wear? For the pagans run to these things. Running is such a great metaphor. You know, um, it's just common knowledge. Everyone hates running, right? It's not an easy way to work out. Uh, It makes you just feel gross sometimes. I mean, there's like those weird small percentage of people who get a runner's high. They feel like a million bucks. They look graceful when they run, and uh, they just do it all the time. That's not most of us. And the metaphor here is great. Jesus says, the pagans, when they worry and they fear and they stress, these people run to those things. And he's meant to use that metaphor over and against the reality of receiving. And so if you're anxious and fearful, then you can go run after, chase after those different things that you want. 
but you can also just trust that God's going to be God and let God provide for you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do good things in your life and make good choices in your life. It doesn't mean that you don't have to get out and go get something done and go get at it with, with work or with the um, things you got to do. It means that when you go get it at work, when you go get it at, uh, w- with your family, then you're able to work hard in a place of peace, a posture of contentment where you're not spent by worry and fear, but you're able to use the resource of God's love for you to motivate you to go achieve and do something powerful with your life. That's not to say you don't work hard. It's a heart posture to go get it, but know that nothing happens unless it's God's will. Here's the conclusion. In the end, we have a a number of things about God's character that motivates us to think clearly about God's truth when it comes to worry. And therefore, the conclusion is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, all these things will be given to you obviously does not mean that God's going to give you exactly what you want or even exactly what you need in a particular circumstance or what you feel like you need. I mean, that is not true. Observably, Christians have died of hunger. They've died of coronavirus. They've died of all kinds of different ailments. God doesn't just remove Christians from the burden and the consequences of living in a broken world. Um, So you might say, well, then maybe I should worry Maybe I should fear. Maybe I should be anxious because then at least I'll be able to control what I can control. Maybe I should catastrophize and think about the worst and then prepare for it. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. If you mind my business, I'll mind your business. Jesus is saying, I know you. I know what you need. I know your heart's uh, longings. I know your material needs, your psychological needs. I know what's coming down the pike for you in my will. I know these things, and I love you. So, if you mind my business, I'll mind yours. If you get busy, if you focus, if you have a heart for the will of God, and that's what you seek first, then start to notice that you'll have a new perspective on your circumstances, that you'll, you'll lose the house, you'll lose something even worse. And even though God freely permits us and it's justifiable to mourn and to weep and to struggle through things, and nothing I say this morning is meant to uh, minimize any of the hurts. Like God is with you. He's a suffering God. He's a loving God. We know that about Jesus. And yet, you know that no matter what happens, you can have a joy through those circumstances and a peace. Because God clothes you I'm thinking of the prodigal son and, you know, the younger son messed up and then he came back to the father uh, ready to apologize and to get back with the father. And before he could even utter the words to make the excuses, to make amends, the father wraps his arms around his son. He wraps his robe around his son, which in, uh, in doing that, he puts the identity of a a father, of a patriarch, around his broken and lost son. He puts a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The father clothes his messed up younger son. And in the same way, when we become Christians, he clothes us in righteousness, that he wraps his clothes around us, gives us a new identity and a new life in Jesus Christ. 
that's the kind of new life that we have that gives us perspective on the losses and the changes of our life. So if you're prone to worry and think about the worst possible circumstance and you live with that anxiety every day, think about what it's like to be clothed in righteousness, to be secure in your future in Jesus, to have the, the longings of your emotional life met in Jesus, that he accepts you, that he loves you, that he plans to spend eternity with you. And then ask this question, is the thing I'm going through right now, is it going to seem valid and powerful and, and destructive in a thousand years in my life with Jesus? When I look back a thousand years from now, uh, when I'm in Christ, when I'm with Jesus for all of eternity, is this thing that I'm worried about right now going to seem like a big deal? It's a valid question. I saw on the news, uh, CBS this week, that a priest gave up a ventilator <clears throat> at the cost of his life. And I think this is a very serious question because sometimes when you worry, you think, uh, what if the worst happens? Well, the gospel of Christ gives us a resource for peace and joy, even when the worst will happen. And I don't know much about this priest, but the reports are saying that the parishioners from his Catholic diocese brought him, they found a ventilator and they brought it to him to save his life. And when given that resource, he denied it and gave it to a younger um, sick patient to save that person's life. And um, Don Giuseppe Bernadelli was 72 years old, gave his life this week to save someone else. One of the uh, people there said that I'm deeply moved by the fact that this archpriest to whom the parish community had brought a respirator, renounced it to assign himself to death and save a younger man. Understand that God, in the midst of your worry and your crying and your pain, might very well be singing over you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I will be with you and you'll never be alone. So Christians, lift your head up, overcome anxiety with, and fear by seeing the character of God, believing in him over and against your worry. Speak some truth to that fear. Secondly, free yourself up then to think clearly about your emotional life and your prayer life and your priorities because of this resource that we have in who God is. And lastly, See yourself coming from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light as Christians who are forgiven and loved and who will be with God for all of eternity no matter what.